you know, what I have found is you have most control over the bookends of your days. First thing in the morning, last thing before night. In the middle of the day, you're putting out fires, you're reacting to other people's agenda. But if you can carve out yeah. a little bit of time, first thing in the morning, last thing before bed. For side hustlers, that's the most realistic time to go out and move your own personal agenda forward and really making it a priority. Like if you can, you know, to borrow from Jerry Seinfeld, if you can like not break the chain, like every day I'm going to write a joke, every day I'm going to move that thing forward. I'm going to write my 500 words, but making it a consistent habit. I think that's super, super important. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the brilliant Nick Loper. Nick Loper helps people earn money outside their day job. He's an author, online entrepreneur, and host of the award-winning Side Hustle Show podcast, which features new part-time business ideas each week. As chief side hustler at SideHustleNation.com, he loves deconstructing the tactics and strategies behind building extra income streams. Hey, Nick Loper, like super amazing celebrity podcaster slash whip smart strategist. What do small business owners need to focus on this week? I'm, I'm flattered by that. Thank you. Um, the thing <laughs> that, gotcha. yes, um, the thing that I'm focusing on, I think it makes sense to focus on is doing a better job of serving your existing customers because those are the people that are going to turn around and become <sighs> your uh, advocates and get that word of mouth flywheel spinning in your favor. Heck. Yes. Number one, I love the idea of it being a flywheel because we got to get that momentum going, right? Like you can't blow on this thing once and then it's like, oh, Air goes off to the races. Now I'm on the moon. It's like, hold on. No, you got to build up the momentum, keep it going, and then nurture that wind so that it keeps on trucking along. And I love that because I feel we put such a premium on new leads and pipeline is critical. I'm not saying it's not. It's freaking, if you don't have a pipeline, you don't have a business. However, the customers that already love you, your re-enrollments, your lifetime value folks are a much more exciting get than newbies off the street who you haven't proven yourself to. So why, where do you think this new, 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 go out, capture new brains, new eyes, new loves, convert new people? Why, why do you think we've started to overemphasize that, Nick? Well, that's the biggest piece of the pie. The people who don't know you exist. And so it's this great big blue ocean of discovery left to go a conquest. And I'm totally guilty. I want to grow my list and grow my listenership and you know get more traffic. And that's all great. Like you said, right? If you don't have a pipeline, you don't have a business. But at the same time, there's all these people who are already kind of in your ecosystem. And it's like, are you dropping the ball with those folks? What do they need? How could you better serve them? So that's something that's kind of been uh, top of mind lately coming back from uh, podfest last month this big podcasters mm -hmm. conference it's like yeah we're all you know all of these strategies and sessions on how to go out and get new listeners it's like well what about the people who are already tuning in like how do you serve yes. them 
and get them to go spread the word for you, right? It's like, uh, that's something I think a lot about. Heck yes, like, because we treat, and and not intentionally, this is not malicious, and it's not even intentionally negligent, but you're right, like, old subscribers, well, they already subscribed. Old Patreon folks, well, they're already happy. Um... <laughs> Sure, but you could probably delight them or serve them on a deeper level. And so one of the things I talk about with my clients all the time is that all selling is problem solving in order, right? So if we're looking at our existing clients, what's the next hurdle that they're going to face? New level, new devil. What's coming up for them? So often we go, okay, well, they're done with me. They can go on to so-and-so. And that's great. It's great if your clients graduate from you because they need to. That means you did your job and you got them from A to Z like you said you would and awesome. But I think so often we don't think about the life of our customer beyond our initial buy cycle. So how do we broaden our understanding of what our people need from us? I do it through, I mean, I'm grateful to get a lot of feedback through the Side Hustle Nation community. People are asking and answering questions mm -hmm. all day long in that Facebook group that's almost 50,000 members strong at this point. People respond to the emails, although, you know, not as, not as much as I would like necessarily. Like, hey, come on, you know, this, this went out to thousands and thousands of people. How come we got, you know, a dozen replies? <laughs> um, but feedback on that, comments on the blog site, less so these days, but comments on social media. Okay, I really got a lot out of this episode. I wish you would have gone deeper in this area or I, you know, well, they're raising their hand and say, hey, have you ever done an episode on, you know, this question? I would love if you tackled that. And so it's a lot of listening to that. And then there's a proactive survey component, which I do every year or every couple of years. Um, and it's just kind of like, well, what's what's the biggest challenge are you are you facing right now? What what yeah. type of business are you working on? Where are you at in terms of you know revenue? Just to get a sense of you know where yeah, how much time are you investing into this thing? Just to get a broad sense of where the audience is at. And sometimes you'll get you know, these full paragraph answers, which are really really useful. It's like in your you know avatar's language or in your target customer's language on what they like, what they don't like, what they're looking for, what they need help with. I think all of that is really powerful. That dictates a lot of the future content that I create. Heck yes. I mean, God bless a survey. God bless a freaking survey. We get data right there. But moreover, like you said, when, when I'm teaching, I'm always talking to my clients about dialogue and detail right? Two things that lead to emotional resonance in copywriting almost every time. Dialogue, including mental chatter and specific detail. What better way to get that from your people than to ask for it in a way that allows them to respond? It's not a checklist. It's not a radio button. It's not even just like a, you know, text line four pieces. It's like, I'm going to give you the paragraph option on this form and let you go because they're probably going to say something absolutely genius that you've been trying to figure out how to key into for months. And then they're just going to let it fall out of their mouth when given the opportunity, right? So I love that you're talking about going out and actually replacing assumptions with input and input, which turns into data when aggregated, right? So Feedback is hard though, Nick. Feedback is scary. So was that ever uncomfortable for you to reach out to your listenership or reach out to your group and be like, hey, is this what y'all wanted? Or was that just like, they're already here, may as well ask them. What was your mindset around that? Yeah, a lot of people say they want feedback, but they really just want validation. And I have learned that from <laughs> my my share of uh, one-star reviews. 
And so, but at the end of the survey, my question is like, and if I'm being totally honest, one thing that I think you could improve on, like it's, there's some phrasing that opens it up to be like, look, I've got thick skin, I can take it. And then, and then you get some interesting feedback, like you know, the episodes are, are too long. And then, you know, there's the other half of people, the episodes are too short. So you kind of have to like, you know, balance that stuff out. There's a friend of mine said, there's no such thing as too long, only too boring. But you'd be like, you know, are, are the guests really making the amount of money that they say they are? Like, you know, do you, do you have any, you know, proof or validation of that? Do you get, you know, do you ask yeah. for a copy of their income statements or tax returns? It's like, okay, that's, a, you know, some of these, the claims seem outrageous or incredulous. And it's like, well, that's, yeah. that's one reason they're on the show because it is a cool, you know, that's a really right. interesting story that they achieved that level of success because in whatever. Because results not typical, right? You're giving strategy, your show, right? The Side Hustle show gives strategies to get everybody there, but then you also showcase outliers and exceptions, right? To show what's possible. You're not saying that every single person to one of your recent episodes that has a bird watching blog is going to make six figures in like a month, but it's possible. Right. And he was, you know, we I connected with him six years deep into his journey, right? As there's a the process, yeah. but that, that feedback question has been helpful because that's re resulted in some changes like, hey, you know, the, that overhyped, you know, voiceover guy that you got in 2013, like, you know, he, you know, it's probably time for him to retire. <laughs> and so stuff like that, it's like, <laughs> oh. that's like really valuable to hear. Cause it's like, well, are you turning off yeah. new listeners? Get you got to recommend, or we got to recognize that, you know, for every episode you put out, some people are listening for the hundredth time, but other people it's their first ever experience with you. And it's like, well, what kind of impression yeah. are you making? And so I was like, oh, okay, you know, let's see, how can we tighten this up? How can we get to the point and uh, deliver what was promised in that title? You said the V word a bit ago, and let me tell you, I have a serious love-hate relationship with that word validation. Oh boy, I am kind of a validation whore. No lie, no lie, I am. I'm out here on my own every day, putting myself out there every day. And yeah, it feels good. I get my little dopamine when I get my little likes and my little comments. But you're right. A lot of the time when I'm asking for feedback, I'm actually asking for validation. So how do we as providers, how do we as thought leaders, how do we as, you know, part of our ecosystem change our relationship to validation? Or is it good to crave validation? What What's your two cents on validation? Should we or shouldn't we? For me, I'm like, oh, I, I'm more addicted to this than chips. I need to cool out. But what do you think? I think validation is important, especially in the early stages of a business, because it means like you're trying to get some reaction from the market, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Right. And, uh, you know, it's trying to see like, would, you know, are people going to pay money for this? Are people going to pay attention to this? Is it something that's worthwhile to put out into the world? And if the reaction is just crickets, then that's, I mean, that is yeah. a reaction. That's not so great either. Oh. I'm thinking in terms of some of like the, you know, one-star reviews, you know, when I was seeking feedback and what I really was looking for was validation. And some of that feedback came back as brutally honest. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, one star review does not have to one one star review doesn't have to ruin your day if there are you know ninety nine five star reviews on the other side to balance it out right. but you know look for 
the themes and patterns in the negative reviews. And maybe, you know, the one star people, maybe they're just having a bad day. They're flaming everybody out. But like, you know, the two or three star type of feedback, like there's usually some criticism. Like these people, they wanted to give you a chance. They wanted to like it, but you know, something was just grating on them or something rubbed them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And if you start to see a pattern there, it's like, okay, there is, there is something to that. And you know, not saying you necessarily have to change your whole business in response to a few bits of negative feedback, but there may be something that that's worth paying attention to. Well, yeah, pattern recognition, right? Like one of the one of the things I always tell is I saw this one-star Yelp review for a restaurant where a guy literally wrote this huge diatribe about how much he hated this restaurant, but never actually said anything about the restaurant until he disclosed that he got broken up with in that restaurant <laughs> and that he thought the wait staff was making fun of him. And Aww. I'm like, that wait staff was not making fun of you. You got broken up with in public and it was uncomfortable and they probably didn't know when to bring the check and it's fine, but you're going to one star a restaurant, <laughs> not say anything about the meal, not say anything about the ambiance, not say anything about the menu, nothing. Nothing at all. Huge diatribe. I went to this restaurant. It was really talked up. And then I got there. I took this date. I thought she'd be really impressed. And instead, she broke up with me one star. And I'm like, cute, <laughs> cute, right? Like, and that's the same thing that happens on like YouTube where I'll get somebody, you know, that'll be like, this is the most wonderful content in the world. And then I'll like be high on validation. And the next one will be like, your boobs are too big for this video. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what? Right. And I'm like, oh, thanks for that one star, homie. Like that was really valuable. Yet on by the same token, if I writ off all one star reviews or all negative reviews as haters, I'd be missing valuable pattern recognition of like, oh, wait, multiple people don't like this. Something that I might want to address. Right. So I think that's part of it, too, is like, how do we how do we steal ourselves against haters while honoring not so great feedback. Yeah. And sometimes it's, that's just like the nature of your personality, or that's the type of product or service or show that you're running. Like some of the feedback for uh, Andrew Warner when runs Mixergy, been hosting Mixergy for years, like Mm -hmm. these startup founder uh, interviews. And he's very direct, especially, you know, in some of the early ones, like, well, you know, how much revenue, what what are your margins? Like, you know, very yeah. like pointed and we'll get on top of, you don't know your numbers, like get on top of some of the guests and some of the, you know, feedback on his show is like, dude, chill out. But it's like other people are like, <laughs> I love how he, you know, really gets into the numbers and the details. It's like, well, you know, what audience are you trying to satisfy there? I mean, that's true too. If you like bone dry business to business fair, you're not going to like my show. <laughs> You're going to be like, why is she so loud? Why is she so yelly? Why does she fangirl on all of her guests? What's up with the weird noises? The pop culture thing's a waste of time. And that's fine. That's your prerogative. Yeah. But it's also my prerogative to be like, I don't want to listen to a boring show. I'm just going to be weird over here on my own show. Heck yeah. yeah. Right? So, but you're right. It's it's what audience are you looking to attract? Because I've been on the shows where they ask me my revenue. And I've told them because that is a main key metric of that show. My show, we're looking for strategy. We're looking for mindset. That's what's more important to my people. But if I'm on a show about being a six-figure coach and they ask me if I'm a six-figure coach, I got to be ready for that. Mm -hmm. So 
All right. We talked about haters. We talked about validation. We talked about surveys. So I, I don't know if you do this. So I have like a, I have a folder in Gmail called hate mail, but I have another one called testimonials. And so it's like, yeah, you know, sometimes you get some nasty replies and stuff. You just, you know, yeah. just drag that over to the hate mail one. But then, you know, the, the <laughs> testimonials folder is a lot fuller and it's great. You know, people thanking you for yes. the content that you put out there. Hey, I took action on this idea and I saw these results, like that type of stuff. So trying to just balance those out internally. I love that you have the negative version. <laughs> I don't. I only have the positive version. I have a wooden box that I, I made. I should probably just hit delete. I don't know. It's- <laughs> that, I mean, I, I think I've ritually, I think I've like ritualistically burned. Like I will, there's that great commercial where they're like people growing up into their parents. I'm like, we don't need to print the internet. I'm pretty sure I print my hate stuff and like ritualistically burn it. It's like my one witchy thing I do is I'll be like, I have to get this out of my house by printing it out. I don't know. Why do I do this? Or like rip it up or whatever. But I don't keep them in a way. And and I actually find that very calming because then, yeah, data to data, you could be like, wow, my testimonials and praise folder has 312 items. And my hater folder has two. So maybe the next time when that goes from two to three, I can hear it receive it and calm down about it a little bit. Yeah. Right. And just recognize, yeah, the vast majority of people you're never going to hear from. It's just such is the nature of, of the game, but it's, right. we have this weird math where, you know, one negative comment tends to outweigh a lot of the positive ones. So that's like a way to, you know, if there's ever a bad day, I could just thumb through some of these nice things that people have sent me. <laughs> or if I ever start to get really egotistical, I can click over here and find a whole bunch of people who think I am a loud idiot. Wee! Oh, there was a company, somebody <sighs> actually turned this into a business, was like, you know, framing, you know, they did it up in a, like a nice matted thing for these restaurants, I want to say, where it was like, you know, the one star Yelp reviews, where it was like the negative tweets that somebody got. It was like, you know, yeah. and they would like frame it. They had a nice little, you made it look really professional. I you probably find this company on Etsy or someplace. <laughs> That's genius. That's freaking genius. I want them to like frame it up like a diploma so I can put it on my wall. Yes. you know. And then when people are like, do you have a master's in marketing? You can be like, no, but I have this framed hate tweet. Yeah. Worst restaurant ever, according to some, you know. <laughs> Congratulations on being the worst restaurant ever. <laughs> I mean, that. I mean, that's the other thing. If you're getting superlatives attached to your bad reviews, like this is the dumbest show ever. You are the stupidest person ever. You must be really making some waves if you're getting those evers, always and nevers. Like, damn. Yeah, that's Stay it. in that lane because you're killing it. That's like everybody's mark of mark of pride. That's how you know you made it once you get your first, you know, negative, negative feedback. And it was like, so like early days of the podcast, it's even early days of like self-publishing. You see like, you know, the number of people who've downloaded your book or the number of people who've downloaded the show, and it would hit like 50 people in a day. I was like, I reasonably confident I'm outside of my own circle of influence now. And that's kind of intimidating. Yep. Like that means strangers are tuning in and strangers are not going to be so kind as your friends and family. No. So it's like, oh, I hope they like it. Yeah. It's, it's very, uh, it can be nerve wracking in the early days. It's really comforting to hear you say that, by the way, because my show's not new, but it's not as old as your show. And if you were like remembering those 50 download days, Mr. 0.1% of podcasts in the world, uh, your Highness, Your Majesty. Oh, <laughs> if you also felt that way, then uh, that means that the rest of us are allowed to too. 
Yeah. So thanks for that little vouch. But, you know, I would be remiss before we transition into our fantastic pop culture topic of which I am so excited. Before we switch over there, though, I would be remiss if I brought you all the way over here and I didn't say anything about side hustles. So a lot of our listeners are full-timers, but a lot of them aren't or are looking for financial oxygen jobs while they grow stuff. So one of the things I see all the time with side hustlers is the translation and shifting that kind of has to happen between like, Corporate selling, I have to go sell this widget and then I go home and then I have to go sell my program. Totally different things. Customer service, I'm passing it off to somebody else or I'm in charge of fixing somebody else's mistake. Oop, now I'm, you know, sales and delivery, a little bit different. Or, you know, project management, having a manager versus being self-managed. What are some of the trends you see maybe in this validation feedback space, maybe not, but along that that translation line of the lessons from our other world that we're bringing into this world. I like that term, financial oxygen. I hadn't heard that one before, but I, I get you mean that. I had to find something to pay the bills while I go and yeah. do my own thing. Uh, I think that's a coach Jennyism. I think that's where I heard that. But yeah, I love that term because sometimes you just need it. I mean, that's why a lot of people are still into side hustle because they haven't quit their day job because they shouldn't yet. Yeah. Because the time is not right and the money is not there or the need is not there or the jump is not there and they need to stay in their main gig for a while. So you're asking about using skills from the day job to start something on the side or how they, those two can be connected? For good and for ill. Like, what is that? What are some of the either do's or don'ts of living that two-pronged life? Yeah, I think in some ways it can be a blessing and a curse, right? Like if you have a skill from your day job in content marketing or graphic design or, you know, something that's very easily like compartmentalized and freelanceable, then it's like, oh, I could just do that same thing. And instead of my company charging $1,000 an hour and paying me 50, like I could be the person, you know, we could meet somewhere in the middle and I could be better off and the client could be better off. And that's a win-win. So we see a lot of people doing that. The other side of it is like, well, I don't know if I have any sellable skills. And that was, that was me like at the bottom rung of this fortune 500 company. Like I, you know, I worked on customer service. I worked on sales. I worked on consulting, but it's like, could I go out and sell any of those things on a freelance basis? It would have been a little bit tricky. And so one thing mm-hmm. I see people getting trapped in is kind of this mindset that, well, that's that's what it says on my business card. So that's what I am. It's like, well, you have the ability to learn new skills and don't discount that. Yes. Like my brother-in-law was waiting tables, went back to school for some sort of software development thing, got a new job. I want to say he's making like 190 grand a year at this new job. I was like, good for really you. cool. Very cool case study of, yes, your skills are not fixed. You can go and learn this stuff. We had another guest on the show recently. It was like, I got laid off during the pandemic. I you know, started this new career, making double my salary, right? Like I'm not necessarily tied to this existing industry or career, right? I can have this ability to go out and learn something new. But I think those are really important things because I was, you know, like I said, in that same boat and learning as you go. In, in the case of yes. the podcast, it's like, well, I don't know what I'm doing, but over the course of you know eight, nine years 
of doing it, gosh, over nine years now. And it's like, it's, it's getting in the reps. It's, it's putting in the reps. I just finished the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger book, Total Recall, it was called. And he talks about of course. putting in the reps as a bodybuilder, putting in the reps, yeah. like practicing stunts for all these movies. And it was just like, I don't know. I thought there was a lot of takeaways for entrepreneurs in, yes. in this book. Well, that's that Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, right? Like you got to put the reps in. Yes. And that's 10,000 hours of doing, not 10,000 hours of learning, right? Where people will be like, well, I went to law school, so that's my 10,000 hours. I'm like, no, that's 10,000 hours of learning, not 10,000 hours of doing. Yeah. There was a cool case study recently of somebody who, you know, wanted to learn the skill of video editing. So, you know, kind of hitched his cart to this one particular video editing software, stuck his hand up on Fiverr and said, I will edit your videos. So like my hourly rate in the beginning, mm-hmm. atrocious. but over the course of the yes. first year, year and a half of doing this, I made 10 grand in total. And now I have this new skill doing this very part-time and I can go out and sell this like at a much higher level. It's like, okay, that was a really cool way yes. to get paid to learn something new. Heck yes. Right. Build that plan while flying it, but also realize that it's okay that you don't know what you don't know. Right. I think a lot of us are also just afraid of what we don't know. And it's like, but what if we could treat that with curiosity? What if we could say like, oh, Right? I'm taking this really intense money certification right now because a lot of people that have sales avoidance also have money trauma in a variety of forms. But normally I've had to farm that out. I can't really speak to that. That's not my area. But my own curiosity was keeping it not my area. I wasn't allowing myself to get passionate or curious about solving this problem or or jumping into this pool. And I'm not necessarily talking about like dilute your message. But yeah, if I was just like, cool, I'm fixed. I'd never, ever have been teaching sales because I hated sales more than anything in the entire world, right? So if I had tried to stick to a predictable path and not do this experimentation and unfolding and listening and surveying, I certainly wouldn't be having this show. I certainly wouldn't be teaching sales, the thing that I feared the most in the world. And you and I absolutely would not be having this conversation right now. So how can we, how can we open up to that? You know, how do we open up to unfolding and, and, and not try to force things so much? Yeah. It, Cause that's hard, right? Like, uh, especially if you're on a side hustle schedule and you have such limited time, it's hard not to white knuckle the reins and be like, ah, this has to happen now. But how do we, how do we relax a little bit? Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, the patience and the imposter syndrome, it's, it's super real. Yes. And I think yeah, I mean, the only known cure for it that I've discovered so far is doing the work, <laughs> like putting yourself out there. There's a line in, in Kung Fu Panda 3 where Master Shifu is like, you know, if you only do what you know how to do, you'll never be more than you are today. It's like, what? That was, that was like, you know, I'm doing dishes and the kids are watching this movie. I'm like, man, did he, that was really deep. Um, but This is why I have a pop culture small business podcast because inspiration is everywhere up to and including Kung Fu Panda 3, which I didn't even know there was a Kung Fu Panda 2. But apparently Kung Fu Panda 3 exists and is dropping some gems. You got to keep milking your cash cows over here. Yeah. That's true, right? That right there is the thing of all pop culture. Everything's a reboot yeah, now. Yes. But there you go. Oh my God, the reboot. That was the very first thing you said. Your existing customers have value. So do your existing <laughs> ideas, right? There your you existing go. There you go. Re- repurpose what you got. There you go. See, we turn the whole thing into repurposing. Look at that. It comes Expertly full circle. done. <laughs> 
Uh, well, do you want to talk about like the time, like, because that's always the, the challenge of, you know, how do I fit this in with limited hours? How do I know there's going to be a yeah. return on this time? So I think the first thing is, does it serve your greater why? And I think that's where a lot of people kind of get stuck on the side hustle sidelines. They're trying to figure out, well, number one, they're waiting for like the lightning strike of inspiration and this never before seen business idea. It's like, well, you know, if you pick something just on the side of what's already been done, already been validated to use that word again, uh, I think that's a little bit mm -hmm. safer way to go. But then carving out the time to actually make that happen because we, you know, time, I don't know, somebody's law, right? Time expands, work expands to the time you have to, to yes. uh, fill it. You know, what I have found is you have most control over the bookends of your days. First thing in the morning, last thing before night. In the middle of the day, you're putting out fires, you're reacting to other people's agenda. But if you can carve out yep. a little bit of time, first thing in the morning, last thing before bed. For side hustlers, that's the most realistic time to go out and move your own personal agenda forward and really making it a priority. Like if you can, you know, to borrow from Jerry Seinfeld, if you can like not break the chain, like every day I'm going to write a joke, every day I'm going to move that thing forward. I'm going to write my 500 words, but making it a consistent habit. I think that's super, super important. My brother, he had, you know, early on in his business, he was like, you know, spend five minutes a day working on my website. And that was like his bare minimum to be able to check the box. And, you know, oftentimes yeah. you find what he got going with it, you know, it turned into 15 minutes, turned into half an hour. And that was great. But, you know, as long as he did five minutes, he could say, I, I didn't break the chain. I'm making this positive momentum, trying to stack up these, you know, 1% incremental gains, these marginal improvements and wait for that compound, compound interest to really start to uh, yes. uh, get some, get to the exponential growth phase. Yes, 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 yes. I feel like if I boil down like every other episode of this show, at least it comes down to consistency. If you are inconsistent, you cannot and will not grow, right? And so you had talked about some of these outliers on your show who are doing these really cool, awesome things. I can guarantee you that if they saw above the average success, it was because they were consistent, right? There, there's no such thing as overnight success without consistency. You can't be a celebrity basketball player because you had one really good game. That doesn't work. Yeah. Those ones. Right? You got you to gotta be reliable. <laughs> those ones bother me where it's like, you know, step one, uh, go viral. Uh, step two, you know, <laughs> question mark, question mark, question mark. Step three, profit. And you're like, well, let, go back to step one. How yeah. do you like, is that, it doesn't seem controllable, <laughs> but you know, some people are like, well, no, I have this formula and it works. Like I, more, and there are yeah. a few of those to be, to be fair. And that, that's a path, right? But step one, <laughs> sell a thousand person mastermind when no one knows who you are and you have no list. Like, okay. Mm yeah. But you know, put in that work, create the content, build your following, build the audience, build the customer base. And the size is up to you, right? The example of your brother, five minutes. And sometimes it was more than five minutes, right? But let's see if I can add two people to my mailing list every week. Yeah. Two people right? Maybe I can add 20, maybe I can add 30. But if I set the limit at two, that, to use your perfect phrase, then I'm checking that box. Yeah. And early on, we had a guy who was making a full-time living, just flipping items off a of Craigslist. And he you know, focused on appliances. I was like, could you imagine a bulkier, heavier item to be moving around? But that was his, nope. that was his niche. And early on, it was, can I go out and find $50 a profit today? Can I go out and find $100 a profit today? If I did, that's a win. And if I didn't, you know, I better keep going, better keep looking because we got a family yeah. to feed. And I thought that was, you know, having a concrete 
goal and, and then breaking it down to, you know, either the daily or weekly level. And maybe daily doesn't make sense depending yes. on commutes and jobs and stuff, but you got the weekends, hopefully, or you got the evenings, hopefully, and then you can make, uh, make progress toward those weekly, monthly goals. And that's why tackling into that why, that greatest why, like you said about it, is so important because on a day-to-day basis, this growth, this needle moving may not seem so big. If, you know, go out and make $50 today might stress you out to all hell about how you're ever going to make a living on that, but you still got to start there, right? So if you're not going to be able to rely on your why of like, oh my God, why am I working so hard for $50? Then you're going to burn out before you get traction in most cases. In, in what I've seen, that's my very bitchy opinion. My hourly rate for my first years of blog, probably first like five years of blogging, first yeah. several years of podcasting was so far below minimum wage, it wouldn't oh. be funny. But it's just, oh. uh, you know, it's a labor of love, part one. But then part two, it's something that has some scale. It has some leverage, which I think it's kind of what people are ultimately looking for. How do I decouple my time from my earning power. Yeah. And that was something that, well, it takes the same effort to produce a show that 10 people listen to as 10,000 people listen to, as 100,000 people listen to. So it's something that has some unique scale. And if you can build that into your business from the early stages, it makes working for less than minimum wage, <laughs> hopefully a little bit more appetizing. Yeah. Because we do. I mean, and also thank you for normalizing the fact that a whole lot of people out there are making less than they did in their traditional job, or they're not leaving their traditional job because their traditional job pays well. Good on you, y'all. It takes time sometimes to make some big money. And a lot of us have more lean years than fat years at the beginning, for sure. Not everybody, right? But, but you're not alone if your business is not yet bearing super profitable fruit. I know it seems like everybody and their dog is out here making seven figures. A lot of those folks are lying. And the ones who aren't are killing it because they've been consistent and they've been doing this for a really long time, which is the perfect. So, <laughs> or, it's, or it's seven figures in revenue and, you know, $990,000 in ads, right? Right, right, right. Or, you know, it's all of that and that goes straight to Zuckerberg. Like, <laughs> here you go. Here is my $90,000 gift, Mark Zuckerberg. I'm itchy just thinking about that, but <laughs> that's true. All right. So you said that the Side Hustle Show is like eight or nine years old. Yes. Started in 2013. Just past 500 episodes. Holy heck. Now, considering Pod Fade starts for most people at like episode 12, <laughs> uh, that basically makes you like the grandfather of podcasting. So congratulations uh, on having the longevity that one would see on a show like The Simpsons. There it is. Oh. There's that transition. So from your show that's been on for forever to their show that's really been on for forever. Nick, king of side hustling. What the heck does any of this about feedback or validation or your why or consistency or unfolding, becoming any metrics, any of it, what the heck does any of it have to do with the Simpson family? Oh my God. So I just looked this up. 728 Simpsons episodes. I've got a ways to go to, to catch up with these guys. 728, but you're not that far. You're only 510. You know, That's not that far. They had a, I don't know. They had a 20 something year head start, <laughs> but it's good. Yes, that's true. That is very, very true. So what's cool about Simpsons? But 728. Wow. I know. Isn't that nuts? Like we, we grew up 
you know, watching this stuff, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. hours a day after school and just, you know, the reruns, the classics that would come on again and again. It's a really entrepreneurial show in a lot of ways. A lot of small business examples. Homer is a serial side hustler, right? He's got his, you know, he's got, he's got the day job at the nuclear plant, but he's starting, you know, this, you know, (laughs) elephant riding business or the trampoline business in the backyard and the, uh, you know, Mr. Plow, the snow plow company. He's got, he's, he's got a million ideas. And I think that's, what's cool. And even time, like most of the time they end up you know, not working out or they have hilarious results, but he's like, you know, at least I'm out there trying something, I think is one of his lines. Yeah. He doesn't get discouraged. He just does it again. Yes. You know, trampoline business doesn't work out. He's on to the next thing. On to the next thing. He's not beating himself over it. He's Homer Simpson. (laughs) He doesn't beat himself up about anything. So why would he beat himself up about a side hustle not working? Yeah. I think that's, and that's a really good example too. It's like, you know, the first things that you try on the side probably aren't going to work out and positioning it in your head as an experiment versus, you know, the end all be all like, oh gosh, this doesn't work. It's, it's over for me. It's like, okay, lesson learned on to the next thing. It seems like that's, I don't know know how much lesson learning is going on, you know, episode to episode, but very uh, little, at least he's, uh, at least he's taking the momentum. Right. He's taking the swings. He's not beating himself up because he's not taking it personally. Yes. Right. And I think, so many of us, understandably, in an episode where we've talked a lot about feedback and validation, take those things personally. If I say, hey, I don't really like your podcast, what you're hearing me say is, hey, Nick Loper, I think you're a horrible person and no one wants to hear from you and go lock yourself in a closet. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying right now your podcast doesn't fit into my life. That's fair. <laughs> right? So Homer's not like, oh, Mr. Burns is so mad. He doesn't care. He sits there and he eats his donuts and he pushes his buttons and he goes on with his life. And if his side hustle pans out, great. He buys himself something shiny and neglects Marge. And if it doesn't work, he buys himself shiny and neglects Marge. So what is the difference? Not a whole lot, right? But one of the things I love about Homer, and I would say maybe all of the Simpsons, is that when they do something, they go full bore. Like he goes full enthusiasm. He doesn't half-ass, even though he's like willing to detach from the outcome, he still pours himself into it for a bit. And I think there's a lesson too of 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 picking ourselves back up, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've, I've got some notes on this. Actually, one of the very early blog posts on Side Hustle Nation was business lessons from the Simpsons. And so it's been, been fun to like uh, kind of scroll through some of this stuff. I've got the elephant episode where Bart wins an elephant from a radio contest. And of course the radio contest is like, no, no one ever chooses the elephant, you know, take the money kid. (laughs) And he's like, nope, I'm getting the elephant. Names the elephant Stampy. Homer sets up uh, the elephant rides in the backyard, charges two bucks a piece. And he's like, you know, at the end of the first day, like, look at this Marge, I got 58 bucks and all of its profit. I'm the smartest businessman in the world. And then Marge is like, you know, we had to feed $300 worth of food to the elephant today. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, and that's to your point about the seven figure business with the, you know, 900 <sighs> something in, in expenses, right? It's, you know, minding, oh, minding yes. the margins. Well, isn't that the truth too? Is like, I think a lot of people when they jump into entrepreneurship or side hustling, because there very is that still like great lemur mentality of like, what the heck are you sitting in your job for? You could be making a million dollars doing nothing. And it's hard not to buy into that. Plus dreams, real dreams, real dreams are being fueled by these things too, right? But I think that there is sometimes that blind spot of 
oh, this is still work. Even though it's a side hustle, it's hard. It's I got to feed this elephant. I can't I can't ride kids around for two bucks on a dead elephant that starved to death. And it costs a lot of money. Right. It costs a lot of time to write a blog. It costs a lot of money to, you know, have course software and a virtual assistant. It costs money. Right. And it's hard. It costs time. And so there's that thing again about expectations and and how quickly we expect to grow and how quickly we expect to profit. Yeah, we made our 15 bucks today, but we had to feed the elephant. That's right. Minding those margins, keeping things as lean as possible as long as you can. I mean, that's one of the biggest advantages to online businesses. Yeah, there's some software overhead, but after that, that's about it. And they kind of maybe some of them scale with as the size of the business grows, like active campaign is my biggest monthly expense you know, for the size of the email list, but I'm happy to pay it. Cause it's like, well, how else am I going to talk to, you know, these are my, these are my people and I get to market my latest stuff to them. So this is. Right. Know. And then having that, you know, I always look at it, even though I don't want to spend the money anytime I have to go to the next pay leap, of a service, it's normally because of what you just said, it's kind of like my subscriber numbers or I've crossed a threshold. I don't want to pay that money, but it's a great problem that I have to. Do you do what I, I do? Like as I'm coming up on the next tier, I'm like, well, who hasn't opened an email in a long time? Like, <laughs> I go and delete these people or you see people from... Uh, do like an opt out email. Like, do you really want to yeah, be here? Because I don't want to pay $99 a month. Are you still side hustling? I, oh that's God. kind of like an automation that I have set up, you know, after five or six months of no open. Hey, you still side hustling, you know, first name, you know, just like a one line <laughs> email. And, so, and I get some replies for that. Like, okay, now you're, you know, you're back in the, you know, back in the good list for another six months. <laughs> Be like, cool, because I really don't want to give Active Campaign more money. Uh, no, just kidding. We love you, Active Campaign. But no, I, yes. I mean, you got to keep it lean. Like it's you sponsored said. Sponsored by Active Campaign. Right? Oh my God. I've started doing hashtag sponsor my podcast on pretty much everything, and it's obnoxious, and I'm never stopping. Nice. So, yes, hashtag sponsor my podcast ad campaign or Active Campaign. Um, that would be great. But, you know, also on The Simpsons, there are so, in addition to Homer, the perpetual side hustler, uh, we also have many, many small business owners and sole proprietors on the show. Uh, we have Krusty, good old Krusty. We have Mo, we have a Poo, right? Like, so what do you think in terms of entrepreneurship? And and I, I, I just, I feel for Mo. I feel like there are the days when your regulars are the best of the best. And there are days when your regulars will drive you crazy just because they can. So, you know, if we're talking about the lifetime value of a client, I feel like there's got to be some lessons from Mo slash Moza. Yeah, that's true. About entertaining your people, but also not letting them eat your life. Anything coming up for you on that? That's right. He's got his handful of barfly regulars. Um Yep. Homer and Barney and Lenny and Carl and that other random dude. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like delivering a consistent service for these people. And it's, you know, this depressing, yeah. dingy, dirty bar in this case. But because but when he goes to change it, like he ch changes it into like, you know, Moe's family fun feedback or something. Or whatever. Yeah. And it's like over the top, you know, kids, you know, friendly place. And they're like, it blows up for like a week. And he's like, this is, this is great. But then, it, you know, 
grouchy old Mo kind of comes out and it, it all goes belly up. He's like, you know what? I got to stay in my lane. I got to stick with the stick with the niche. And he spent way too much money on that conversion. So that <laughs> story right there, the conversion of Mo's is perfect. He didn't think about his long-term customers. He followed a trend. He jumped. He saw some immediate traction, but he spent too much money. He couldn't keep it up. And it wasn't really the empire he wanted to build anyway. So that's right. Maybe he had some, he had a lot more revenue for a minute, but it didn't serve him in a way. It wasn't, wasn't the business he wanted to be in. And I don't think there's ever been a better example of somebody building a business that they don't want more than Krusty. (laughs) Poor Krusty. All the brand recognition in the world. All the brand recognition. All the name recognition. He's got knockoffs now. He's got 97 offshoots on this business. I don't think Krusty wants any of it. Yeah, Krusty is the king of franchising or licensing, right? He's like, you know, yeah. the Disney characters. Like, they're, they're master merchandisers. You know, there's Krusty, <laughs> Krusty brand, everything. He's got the Krusty restaurant and all of the toys and everything. But it's funny, they, they reference <sighs> McDonald's in one of those episodes are sitting in the i think the chief wiggum and the police guys are sitting in the crusty burger <laughs> they're like talking about mcdonald's never heard of it they've got two thousand locations yep. in this state alone <laughs> like oh, must have sprung up overnight <laughs> yes absolutely mcdonald's sprung up overnight and so can you yes. no <laughs> everything 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 takes time. And speaking of time, I have taken up so much of yours today, but it has been such a freaking blast to get to sit down and talk to you about these things. I got two more questions for you. You get to be Mr. Burns for one day, one day of full executive power over Springfield because you got all that money and all that power and all that grumpiness. What you going to do with it, Mr. Burns? Oh my gosh. I don't know. He's so evil. Uh, he like tries to uh-huh. he like tries to block out but the maybe, sun. Okay, so here we go. Do, do you want to go evil, Mister Burns, or do you want to take your one day of Mister Burns to do some good? I'm interested in this. Yeah, I would like to see Mister Burns do some good. Um, use some of that wealth for the uh, advancement of society in some way. Um, <laughs> now it's like, well, you know, what cause would he be? Uh, would he be into? Gosh, yeah, he's he's got a lot of bad examples of bad behavior for for billionaire billionaire bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, yeah. Trying to think of you don't see a lot of you know homelessness or you know people hungry in Springfield, though there undoubtedly are. So you could do some good in that area. The guy runs a nuclear plant, so he could support some environmental causes. I think would be good. Um, and, and just mm-hmm. like the educational side of things, is um, we've got the kids in school and trying to you know, build that, build that future generation. And, and so, okay, maybe that's it. You know, so Mr. Burns, he's had some success in his life. He's running the nuclear plant. You know, one thing that I think our schools are lacking in is that that entrepreneurial education, right? We're still kind of in this outdated 20th century factory worker, office worker, uh, education mentality. It was like, oh, we need creative. Industrial revolution mentality. Uh, Yes. Right. And it's like, that's not where we're at anymore. Like we need creative thinkers, we need problem solvers. And so maybe something on the educational side of things to support like the, which would be so like the Mr. Burns, you know, foundation for creative thinking and entrepreneurship or something would be, uh, (laughs) you know, everybody would be skeptical, like, oh gosh, this is going to be some evil brainwashing thing, but you know, done in the right way. It could, uh, it could be a thing. 
Yeah. And we could just totally replace everything that you just said with the names Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. There you go. <laughs> you know, stop shooting yourselves into space and maybe buy a freaking school that can teach some entrepreneurial skills. Dang it. All right. Uh, well, before I get too cranky, Nick, what is the best way for our listeners to come into your world to start a conversation with you or to find your show? How do they come in? Uh, yeah, of course. We'd love to have you tune into the Side Hustle Show. You find it on all the podcast apps, sidehustlenation.com slash ideas is a good place to start. If you're on the entrepreneurial sidelines, you want to see what is out there in the realm of possibility. This is my big laundry list of part-time business ideas. No opt-in required over there. Just hopefully, you know, my goal is that you have six, seven, eight browser tabs open by the time you get to the bottom. Like, okay, that sounds interesting. I'll learn more about that. Um, the social media that I'm most active on is inside the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group. So sidehustlenation.com slash FB will get you over there or you can search Side Hustle Nation on Facebook. I can't believe I finally get to say this in a work-related context. Ready? Cowabunga. <laughs> what? Cowabunga, Nick Loper. Thank you so freaking much for being my guest today here on TLTQ. It's been a delight to have you and congratulations on all your continued success. Thank you. Y'all, I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for this week. Well, hey there. Did you know that Bart Simpson only ever said cowabunga a handful of times, mostly in 1990? Yep. And yet, most of us can summon up the image of at least one t-shirt pairing his spiky yellow head with that weird, loud phrase. Somewhere in some corner of 90s nostalgia, we fused two pop culture pieces together that didn't really belong together. And maybe there was a marketing reason for that. Because also back in 1990, schools were banning t-shirts with Bart's better-known catchphrases of the day, I'm Bart Simpson, who the hell are you? And underachiever and proud of it, man. So how do you reach out to kids with a rebellious spirit and get the shirt into a school where other kids can covet it? Cowabunga, dude. So, yeah. Bart did say cowabunga like twice. There is truth to that fact. But a lot of it is wrapped up in this collective misremembering. And I'm guessing your industry, your niche, or your clients are still holding on to some incomplete or downright wrong information too. So this week, your homework is to publish a post or a video busting a myth or misconception. What so-called truths have been force-fed to your clients that simply aren't so? What used to be valid 10 times out of 10, but now rarely ever works? What trend is applying a Band-Aid to a bullet hole? Your audience is sick of the same old answers and pre-packaged advice, and they damn well are fed up of trying things that are supposed to be tried and true, only to feel lied to. So this week, we get to set the record straight. Tell confusion to eat your shorts and your competitors not to have a cow, man. It's your industry. How do you want it to be remembered? Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy. 
and me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be. Please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who helped make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My composer, Riley Herbastio and my show artist, Francois Vigneault. They're all fabulous, and I'd be glad to introduce you. Until next week, just do your best, and remember, you're too legitimate to quit.